nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show meet Nathan Ginn. Tonight we're joined by Alison Blackmore, Head of Changing Lives Through Horses Programme for the British Horse Society and later on we'll be joined by David O'Driscoll of the Baxter Project, a well-being dog helping pupils deal with problems they may not be able to talk about. Um, it is animals and animal interventions. Can an animal make a difference in a student's life? Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Uh, welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn. And I do always start off the show complaining about the weather here in South Wales. It's sunny, it's beautiful. And do you know what? A beautiful sunny day and I, I, I have had, I have now got my first cold. You might be able to hear out my little bit you know, a, a, a little bit deeper, huskier than normal. But I have my first cold in, I think, maybe like two years. Um, and so that, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means things are, are, are freeing up again. Maybe it's a bad thing because it means everyone's close and, and getting germs off each other again. I don't know. But tonight, we are talking about can animals make a difference in a student's life? Now, I did say later on in the show, um, we'll be joined by David O'Driscoll from the Baxter Project talking about a well-being dog. But we're going to start off uh, this half of the show talking to Alison Blackmore. She's the head of Changing Lives Through Horses program, uh, and that's part of the British Horse Society. Now, I'm hoping Alison is on the line with us now. Are you there, Alison? Hi, Nathan. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you're coming through. Uh, maybe just a little bit closer to the mic, I think. Just try again. Okay, is that better? That is perfect. Yep, we're crystal clear as we hear you. Um, now, um, we always start off these kind of little chats and talking about things that are going on in different parts of education all over the country and around the world, really, on Teachers Talk Radio, uh, by getting a little bit... Uh, to know the person so why don't you start off just kind of introducing yourselves telling the listeners maybe a, a little bit about yourself and and where you're coming from hi well i have been in education for about 27 years now and i had quite a broad experience over that time i started off as a mainstream english and drama teacher but quite quickly started to specialize with children with social emotional needs so i've been a semh support teacher I've been a leader in a PRU setting. And then just before I came into the British Horse Society, I was working for a local authority as an inclusion manager. So interesting to listen to your show last week um, with Kate talking about the excludable. So that was kind of my previous life, um, what she was talking to you about last week. Fantastic. And then um, really, you know, although it'd be really interesting to hear what you have to say about that, because, you know, as, as you'll be aware, you know, that this is my interest. I am, you know, they're, they're, I have loaded my, my guests on my shows in, you know, particularly into things that I find interesting. I think people will find interesting. Um, but tell us a little bit about then what you do now. 
So what I do now is work for the British Horse Society, heading up a fantastic alternative provision programme called Changing Lives Through Horses. This programme has been around since 2016, so we're going into our sixth year. Um, but over the last two years, the British Horse Society has really invested in the programme, spent a lot of time developing the materials, developing links to the school curriculums in the programme. And I guess around this time last year, decided that they wanted to expand the, the staff that contributed to the programme and wanted to bring in a more strategic lead for the programme. Um, hence me flicking through the TES on a very cold, wet Sunday evening last February, coming across this job and thinking oh my god that's my dream job horses and disadvantaged kids two of my favorite things um so i couldn't really believe my look that this job existed and was even more incredibly lucky to be offered it in march and i started in july fantastic i mean you know it as i say it, it is something really um interesting and unique and you know we have we have talked i think people will be familiar with sort of working with dogs i think people will be familiar with those kind of things going on in schools but this is a little bit you know a horse is bigger obviously but this is a little bit kind of bigger it seems now my question is why horses are horses particularly good for for working with young people is it is it something about the the needs the horses have why horses yeah absolutely so i mean i think we at the british horse society we're the the uk's largest equestrian charity and clearly we um have a great belief in the power that horses have and i think in terms of developing this program i think horses are key to it i think um many young people who are referred to the program or in general, perhaps haven't come across horses before. So they are seen as quite magical. I think horses go beyond the realm of their day-to-day -day experience in many cases. And then I think we've got the size of horses that's also really impactful on young people. So they're moving beyond the scope of their kind of domestic experience with pets and, and maybe moving more towards the size of animals that perhaps only ever come across in a zoo. So to be welcomed onto the programme and to make that connection connection with horses, to be part of looking after those horses, to look horses in the eye and understand what they need from you in terms of a, a human that's looking after them, I think is incredibly powerful. I think horses listen without judgment, um, but they also foster respect as well. And I think when young people connect with horses, they can start often start to rebuild those connections that are perhaps missing in their lives. And I think when we look at the programme that includes some riding experience, I think it's the idea that you have to be a team with the horse. When you ride a horse, you're looking for that synergy that you've got with a horse. And it's a, a real true partnership and understanding when we see young people being introduced to riding. Um and so, you know, you know, we will get on to talking about kind of what's what's entirely um, what's involved in in, in the program? In uh, you know, I guess the the kind of activities that are done maybe a little bit later. But um, I don't know. We're we're talking about horses, and I want to get this out of the way. You know, I have kept horses myself, um, and I you know, so I have an understanding of early mornings, mucking out those kind of things. But also, you know, and I would say this. You know, I, I now live in Swansea. I did used to live in North Hampshire, and there, there was a maybe a 
an, an opinion that maybe horses are an upper class thing. I, you know, I work now in AP and I, I, I work with children who keep horses and they would, they would kick me for saying that. But is it, is, is it posh? So, no, not at all. And, you know, I completely understand where that perception comes from, particularly if you're watching the higher end of eventing or any um, kind of professional sport that involves horses. But I think within the equestrian world, there's a huge range of people who who ride. When I look back at myself, my background is is very much a, a working class background from Leicester. My mum was a cleaner. My dad worked in retail. I didn't ride as a child. I was absolutely pony mad. So I read every pony book going. Um, Every project that I could do at school was going to be on horses. And whenever we went on holiday, which was only in this country, I would seek out the nearest stables and pretty much position myself there for the week um, while my mum and dad were on holiday. Um, So that's very much kind of my background, definitely not posh. Um, But I think in terms of the Changing Lives programme, what the program does is bring in a whole range of diverse young people into that stable yard environment that perhaps would have never have found their way there if they were coming from a recreational point of view as riding lessons because that perhaps would never have been on that family's radar so um what we're doing with the program is is opening up that equine equestrian world to a whole range of young people and families that have perhaps never experienced anything to do with horses, anything to do with the equine industry, and giving young people that that confidence and that motivation to learn and move forward in their lives. And, you know, we're really proud of that diversification that we're able to bring into the industry through the program. And what we're actually seeing in the program is that we've got a significant number of young people that are then coming into the industry at post 16. So whether they are going on to apprenticeships within the yard, whether they're going on to to study animal care or equine studies at college. Um, We've got some links with the National Racing College as well that we've supported young people into. So these are people that perhaps prior to the programme would never dreamt of an equine industry being a pathway for them, but they love it so much once they come onto the yard that many of them want to stay. And, you know, my experience with this, I say, you know, I've worked with children who um, have a passion for being around horses as well, but it it, it really does develop a passion. And I wonder, you know, it's, it's lovely to hear you talking about this kind of getting that breadth in, because it would be maybe my understanding that only recently that that kind of opinion of riding itself, and maybe it is what you're talking about, the eventing sort of level of it, because you know historically you'd be talking about cart horses farm horses we we talk about man's best friend being a dog but horses are are quite central to how we've lived our lives maybe for for hundreds of years yeah absolutely and I think some um, young people on the program definitely get a, a sense of that and an understanding that that horses are not just recreation and we we do look into the you know the history of the horse and how horses have supported humankind over the years in in lots of ways um I guess it would be a good point to to say at the moment as well that thinking about what's going on in Ukraine, we're working with a number of other equestrian charities at the moment to to make sure that we're trying to support our equestrian colleagues and friends in Ukraine as well. Um, And we know that, you know, horses suffer as well as as people and the people that are trying to care for the horses as well. So, yes, um, when we look at, at kind of 
war films such as um, War Horse and the Michael Moore Pogo book, um, we, we can see that horses have got that long, long history of um, human equine interaction. And I don't like a connection. I guess these young people would be building that connection with animals. And like you say, the, the horses are big animals for anyone who's not been around a, a horse. And as I say, you know, I've been a, I've been around horses. I'm not a, a rider by any means, but the, you know, standing by the, the the rear end of a horse, that is a, a there's a you know that back leg muscle. That's that's the size of me sometimes. Um, there's a scale to to a horse that maybe you don't get with another animal yeah absolutely and I think that you know that's what I talked about a, a moment ago that idea that for a lot of young people they won't have ever been that close to an animal of that size and then to start to develop the connection and the link with that animal understanding how to take responsibility for that animal understanding what um, horses need from us in order um, to survive in terms of feed, in terms of shelter, in terms of exercise, in terms of well-being. You know, we do see some real genuine connections um, with the horses. And I think as with all animals, not just with horses, young people that, that do need that avenue to talk to someone that's or something that's not going to answer back. Um, I was down in Kent at one of our, our centres the other week and one of the young men down there was saying, um, you know, Hayley, the coach will, will know when I walk down the drive, she'll know absolutely what mood I'm in and she'll either talk to me or she'll just leave me and I'll go and spend half an hour in the stable before I'll come back out and then we'll start the day. Um, and I think our coaches, as with most teachers, are, are really skilled in reading young people's body language um, and having that equine facilitated option to say yep go and have a chat to that horse go and find your favorite horse go and do some grooming go and make that connection will quite often bring a young person who who perhaps turns up not being emotionally regulated will help them find that emotional regulation um now you know i do i, I want to talk about the kind of young people this is you know i don't want to say target that but the, the kind of people you're trying to reach and 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 help with this scheme a little bit and i'm interested there because and this might be you know perception and internal bias that i have but it's really interesting there that you picked and maybe interesting for the listeners maybe they're holding this bias as well that you picked a young man as your example so a mix of genders sort of you would getting involved with a mix of I, it's my internal bias I can tell but it's not female orientated I guess um, I'm saying. absolutely not so our figures at the moment do slightly favor female participants but it's about a 60 percent 40 percent split so yes we've always had a really um healthy number of um of male female um split on the program uh, that's fantastic because you know certainly you know I don't know when we I want to talk in, in a little bit about the kind of young people you're reaching out for and there is again a lot of this is stereotypical about you know who has uh, emotional needs who has behavioral needs possibly and we, and we target that as certain groups um, but it'll be really interesting to hear kind of how that happens and everything now I do want to pop just to a quick ad break if that's okay and when okay. we come back we'll talk just a little bit about um, the kind of young people who, who, who are accessing the, 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 this Changing Lives Through Horses program and then the kind of things they'll be doing on it. Because I know you've touched on so many little things there, but I think it'll be really interesting for people to hear, well, quite what's involved in looking after and, and, and 
uh, being involved in horse riding and being around it. Is yeah, that okay? that's great. No worries. Fantastic. So we'll see you all just on the other side of these short ads. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. With a Slack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boridar Pal, Kroisoy Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, the Twilight Show with me, uh, Nathan Ginn, uh, on this Wednesday evening. Sunny, you know, we're finishing school now these days and the sun is still shining. A, a beautiful thing. We're on our way to summer. Um, I'm joined tonight by Alison Blackmore. She's head of the Changing Lives Through Horses programme for the British Horse Society. And we're, you know, the show we are asking, can an animal make a difference in a student's life? Um, welcome back, Alison. 
Hi, I'm still here. <laughs> Fantastic. Now I'm just going to read out maybe like, I think it's the first sentence or certainly it's near the top of um, the British Horse Society's kind of page on changing lives. Your it says the BHS emphatically believes that horses have a remarkable role to play in developing character and key life skills in young people, regardless of whether more traditional methods have been successful. Now, we talked a little bit about your history. I mean, a lot of the listeners might know that I work with um, children whose uh, where traditional methods maybe have not been successful. So um, how are you defining that? Who are the people... Um, that you think this program is reaching out to? What are the kind of youngsters, the kind of uh, children that it's aimed for? So I think on the program at the moment, we have around 350 young people registered across the UK on the program. That's the highest number that, that we've ever had. So we're going through a really significant period of growth for the program in terms of the number of BHS approved centres that offer the programme and the number of young people that are, are coming onto the programme. So we get a really wide range of referrals um, an incredibly diverse spectrum of young people that might have additional needs either for a, a short time in their life if they're at the moment of a crisis or as part of a, a wider intervention of, of longer term AP particularly for some older young people perhaps. So the programme is open to those from 5 to 25 years old and we have um, the vast majority of those at the moment are between the 12 and 16 year old range. So we have about 70% of young people that fall into that secondary school age bracket, um, around 15% under 12 and then around 8% over 16. But in terms of who can access the programme, there is no... Um, right and wrong children that can come to us it's very much that conversation between the school or the referral agency and the center that offers the program to decide whether it's right for them and i think our centers offer the program very differently so although the program has a core set of, of aims and philosophy and a core set of materials we have some riding schools that offer the program as a, a core part of their business from Monday to Friday and have 25 to 30 young people accessing the program across the week. We have centres that offer the program on an afternoon a week to um, on a two hour session. So it's really, really varied. So we may see young people that... Um, that have been excluded from school, either permanent exclusion and now find themselves in a, a pupil referral unit or other alternative provision. So they might not be on the role of a mainstream school. We have some young people that might be very disengaged with their learning. So maybe their um, attendance at school has become an issue and the school are looking for ways to support that young person to, to re-engage and, and come out of the house. We have a number of young people with additional special needs, which actually might not be behavioural or social emotional based. Um, we have some young people with health needs. Um, I think everybody in education at the moment is seeing an increase in um, anxiety needs with young people, particularly um, post pandemic. Um, and, and certainly the programme can definitely support young people that have got those anxiety needs and need to come and learn in a different environment. We have a, a number of care experienced young people. So we work with people that might find themselves in the, the care system as a, a, a temporary um, 
placement if they find themselves in a, a residential care home. And then we have a number of young people who are also electively home educated, where parents may actually choose to um, bring the children themselves to some sessions. So a huge range of young people. Um, and, you know, I'm going to ask probably what is, you know, one of the toughest things that I think anyone um, working with uh, children who are facing challenges, particularly some of those children who are facing challenges, which is to some people, um, you know, and, and this would be a question I'm sure you faced in your, your, your roles prior to this, this may sound like a treat or a reward. Um, for you know, for for children who maybe you know, and I, I'll, I'll phrase this in the most brutal way that I can. For maybe for children who don't deserve it, is that something that you hear? Is it something that you have to counter? Um, I think you're right. I've been working in different alternative provision settings for over a decade, and I think that is a, a very misconception of the sector. I think for me, alternative provision as a whole has developed so much in the last decade you know with the work that um, Offset have done and and various reporting bodies have done to it but I think there's some really quality alternative provisions out there now and I would count this program as a really high quality provision based on my experience of what I've seen um, elsewhere in the country particularly around the East Midlands. Um, I do completely get that there is that perception out there that alternative provision of any kind can be a, a treat for a child that might not be getting it right in school. And certainly any that involve animals and horses may have that perception even more. Um, but I think when I look at our feedback from our stakeholders that commission the programme, we can genuinely see that they see what an impact it has on young people. And it's not about going to pat a pony for six hours. The programmes that we offer have really robust educational links to the curriculum. They have really um, robust structures within them that children can work through so that they can progress, they can see achievement. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a bit of a, a jolly for young people. There's a, a very firm educational strand to the programme. Um, and I'm going to ask the same question but from the other point of view because you know you're you're looking for centres to take it on and and, and such like and, and and you know to 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 facilitate for you and do they ever feel um, I don't you know I don't want to say intimidated maybe that you know these children who are you know some tough children coming your way do do, do they find it a, a worry or a concern? Um, I think that we try to prepare centres really well for coming on board with the programme. So we have um, a really stringent um, application and training process for um, British Horse Society centres that, that want to come on board with the programme. We spend a lot of time working with them around the type of children that they may encounter and ways that they can um, support the, those young people. We spend a lot of time talking about the importance of relationships and um, sort of emotion coaching and those kind of ideas with them. So I would like to think that at the point that centres end their training, that they're coming into it with their eyes wide open. And I think inevitably, the coaches that want to come on board with the programme have already got a 
and leaning towards inclusion. And that's the ethos of their, their center. And they're looking to, to want to bring that more diverse client base into their, um, their setting. So, so no, I don't think in the, the nearly um, sort of eight, nine months that I've been involved in the program, I don't think that's something that's, that's coming from our, our centers and our coaches at all. Um, and well, I, you know, I, my experience personally of anything, and I would class this, I don't know, you know, within that same bracket of adventurous activity or outdoor activity, that there is something about people who, who, who like the physical environment, that there's a, a, often a connectivity between um, children who maybe struggle to sit in a classroom and doing learning outside and being active outside. Yeah, absolutely. I know, um, Kat last week was talking about children that might be neurodiverse and you know I've done a lot of work around that and I think children who think differently need a different kind of learning environment and a different kind of learning style that matches how they think and how they learn and some schools are absolutely brilliant at that some schools are not so brilliant at that so you know if we can make partnerships with schools because for me it is very much about partnerships we encourage our centers to make those partnerships with local schools with other education institutions and very much work in partnership again i think the days when alternative provision was used as a, an out of sight out of mind strategy are long gone in most cases um so we very much in encourage that that um, partnership between our riding schools and the, the communities that they serve. Um, and I guess also then it must be quite um, difficult for yourselves to administer in the sense that it, you, you said these are, these are very individual people meeting individual animals, individual centres, you know, and it's not the kind of thing where I, you know, maybe other interventions that I have running at a school, I might be able to go, oh yeah, we'll send another two to do this this is more bespoke more um, tailored yeah absolutely um our role as the British Horse Society is very much to facilitate this program. So we provide all of the training to our coaches and riding schools that, that want to come on board with the program. We provide all of the learning materials, which are fantastic, high quality learning materials for the young people. Because, again, when I think back to the early days of alternative provision, um, I think kids always used to think that they were the poor relations if they're on alternative provision and really getting the, the poorer deal than their mainstream counterparts. So I think think quality has always been really important for me and we have some you know lovely resources that we produce that we um give to centers in order for them to run the program um but yes absolutely the relationship then is very much between the the school or the referral agency and the center to plan a program that's going to work for that young person um and then let's talk about this program then because you know I, I in my head I can imagine you know I, I, I'm aware of what a, a sort of stable yard might look like I'm aware of a riding center might look like I, you know I have that picture in my head but I am you know a child is or a young person is going there what might their their day look like what might the activities be that are happening is it you know is it as simple as learning next to a horse or is it the interactions with the the horse how does their day work yeah very much around those interactions so the changing lives through horses program is essentially a personal development program so we work around six key life skills so woven into the program are factors around communication confidence teamwork perseverance 
responsibility and building relationships. So those key skills are at the heart of the programme. But what we're also able to do within the programme is when young people come on board, that they're um, working through those six key life skills, which are absolutely transferable either back to their education settings or older young people back into educate um, back into further education and employment settings. They're also able to practice skills linked to their school curriculum. So all of the, the lesson plans and the session plans that coaches work through have got links to, to literacy and numeracy and, and other curriculum areas in some cases as well. So if they are, for example, um, grooming a pony, if it's at the primary curriculum, then coaches will be able to pull out um, sort of literacy and communication skills, talking about the type of brushes, talking about the feel of the brushes, talking about adjectives, doing some literacy work from that. But what they're also doing is building up a portfolio of equine knowledge and skills that can either support them again to come into the industry at post 16 or just build a really nice um, folder of their experience while they've been on the program so it's a, a kind of combination i think quite a unique combination of those three things so in terms of their day when they come in they will be doing a whole range of things so we've got um two award programs one that's aimed at um more of our primary young people called the achieve awards and then a program called our explorer awards that's aimed more of our 11 plus program um, within both of those schemes are a number of horse care awards and a number of ridden awards. Most centres do offer both, but you don't have to ride. Some centres do just offer the horse care awards and run it as a, a non-ridden programme. So when young people come onto a yard, a typical day may be um, doing some um, horse care aspect around the yard. So, for example, at a very simple level, our Achieve Award 1 starts with um, grooming a horse with a body brush, knowing how to make friends safely with a horse, identifying four different colours of a horse or pony, and knowing how to give a bucket of feed to a horse. So that would be the, the starting point for that young person coming into the yard with no equine knowledge whatsoever. Um, if they were riding, then there would be um, a riding session during that day as well, when again, there's a number of different award levels that they can move through with their riding as well. And in the part of most day, there will also be some time in the classroom where they'll be able to um, cement their learning, reflect on their learning, do some more like I've just mentioned about the, the different colours of horses, learning the points of a horse, learning about different kinds of feed. So a, a real breadth of experience that young people can experience during that day. Wow, right. So I, I could literally take someone, you know, this doesn't have to be because, I, you know, in, previously in my head, I've been imagining this, you know, as you do for, for children that, you know, and I thought that one already has horse knowledge or, or already likes horses. We're talking about taking someone who's maybe never been around a horse. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and getting them. Yeah. So, so again, if we look at the young people on the program, I would say there's a real mix of young people that have come to the program because they've got an interest in, in horses and might have some experience of horses. And our Explorer Awards go up to quite a competent level um, for older young people that have got that knowledge. So they can really build that level of equine knowledge in depth that would absolutely support them to go on to a, a, a level two or level three course at college. But we also absolutely have young people of a, a range of ages that may never have 
been near a horse before, no equine experience whatsoever. And the school have come across the programme, have seen that at its heart, it's a personal development programme, but in a, an equine facilitated setting um, and young people come onto the programme that way. Okay, I love that equine facilitated setting. I really like that as yeah. a phrase because, <laughs> um, you know, like trying to imagine it because you're right. It sounds like you are working on personal social skills, as we might describe them, on behaviours for learning, on, on all of those things, just in a, you know, in a different setting. So I can picture those children who, you know, that that would be an, an amazing opportunity for. But you mentioned a little bit there about the these children who could go on further. And, I, you know, again, in my head. I'm I'm plucking out a different child here that there is further learning opportunities as there are there is career opportunities within um, the the equine field that maybe uh, someone who hasn't done well at school might might choose to take that might go to to a a college afterwards for instance um, if this works out well so I guess where would that child take it? I've got a child who can ride, who maybe isn't technical in it, who maybe isn't um, aware of all of the the stuff, but their family has a horse, and you know, it, you know, it, that's not that that is fairly common <laughs> around where I live now. You you have a horse in a field, you know, it might not be a flashy, you might not know the ins and outs, you know how to look after it, but you're going to learn the formal stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I mentioned earlier that we've got a number of examples of young people that have um, been able to be offered apprenticeships at the yards where they were on the Changing Lives Through Horses programme. So the programme as a whole gives young people a really sound basis in those equine skills. And if we've got older young people that are working through the, the Silver Explorer Awards, they're actually starting to be compatible with some of our industry standards awards within the British Horse Society. So we have a, a professional pathway that moves through a, a stage one, stage two, stage three and beyond coach and horse care awards within our industry. Um, and they are kind of industry level awards. So if we had a young person who was you know approaching the end of statutory schooling that had been working through those Explorer Silver Awards, we would be talking about a, a very skilled young person that if they did want to come into the profession would have a, a fantastic grounding to be able to move onto the British Horse Society um, professional qualifications. I, I, I don't know I, I something I like I really because this is you know I, I would say it's a small area maybe an area people don't uh, look at or think about you know in a mainstream setting for a lot of people being around horses maybe isn't something that they initially think about I know certainly when I talk to people about um, you know doing other provisions or accessing other 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 routes people will think about out you know and I'm doing inverted commas there outdoor activities but I don't know I'm saying it's 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 niche but then also I'm saying it, it it's a, a really wide profession as well with lots of options going into it um, do you I don't know how to phrase this really. Do you feel that people maybe uh, don't don't know enough, aren't aware that, that this kind of thing is possible? I think within the industry as a whole, we are seeing a shortage of, of um, young people coming into the industry at the moment, working in yards, because, you know, you, you talked earlier about um, the side of, of early mornings. Um, it's quite physical work as, a, as an industry. So we are 
we have a number of um, schemes within the British Horse Society at the moment that are supporting young people to come into the industry. But I think the Changing Lives Through Horses programme for some young people can open those pathways to them and for some absolutely won't we've, we've got a young man that I had a, a testimonial from went on to a hairdressing course at post 16 but what he had done was learn lots of communication skills had built his confidence he was able to go into that new setting with all of those life skills that he didn't have before um, you know we're absolutely not um, a program that is designed to churn out young people to come into the equine industry. But for those that develop that passion and can see a career pathway for them, it can be a, a really good grounding for them. Yeah, I think I would be impressed if a young person came up to me and said, you know, I, you know, we see lots of different qualifications as we come through and all of them valuable in their own way. But if a young person came to me and we're, we're doing this at the moment, looking at college applications, it's that time of year and came to me and said, yeah, you know, I've been going, I've been doing this, I, you know, this, I've learned these skills. This, I don't know, there's something quite impressive about this, I think, to see it on a CV. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was talking about, that portfolio of, of equine knowledges, all of the awards that they do. Um, they have um, notebooks, they have um, different certificates every time they achieve an award. So it is a, a genuine portfolio that even if a young person was to do that earlier on in their school career, you know, they could keep that and maybe come back to it later on if, if that was something that they wanted to, to move on to. And I think when we talk to young people that are at that stage um, in their learning, I've been very fortunate to meet a, a few of them over the last couple of weeks at different visits. We've got young, one young man who is now 17. I think he came onto the programme when he was about 15, um, nothing working in schools for him, had never been on a yard before, had never met a horse, had never ridden a horse. He has just successfully interviewed for a place at the, the British Racing School. So he's oh, off wow. to do a, um, an apprenticeship with the British Racing School that we're able to support. Um, another young man I met um, on the autistic spectrum, um, very unsuccessful in school, never really found his people, I guess, which is, is what a, a lot of people that are neurodiverse talk about, that they don't really think they've found their people. He's come into the, the programme at one of our centres in Shropshire and was able to speak incredibly confidently to us last week um, and absolutely determined that this is now his pathway. This is where he wants to be because he's found his people and he's found his horses and he doesn't want to go anywhere else. Um, so, yeah, it can be... Um, it, I mean, the, the, the clues in the name of the programme is that it, it can be life changing for some young people. For some young people, it's, it's six weeks. They improve their communication. They improve their confidence. They return to school. We have some young people that, you know, just access it for a, a short amount of time. Um, but for some of those young people that are, you know, towards the end of their statutory schooling, it, it can be a real pathway onto to future um, transition into adulthood. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really, that, that's such a wonderful story, like a, a lovely story. And, I, you know, I, I, I want to add into what you were sort of saying about, you know, the, 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 the skills that people learn. And my experience, as I say, when I talk about um, working with young people, and certainly the ones who I've worked with who, who have their own um, horse in some way or, or, or look after it themselves, I'm talking about young people who get up at five o'clock before school and go there, come to school, do their schooling, and uh, then go after school as well. And, you know, there, there is a lot of um, 
work ethic. There is a lot of responsibility. There is a lot of caring involved in in looking after a horse. You don't. You could. It's not just putting it in the field. There is grooming, as you say, and, and relationship building as well. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, like I said earlier, when you get to the point of well, not just riding, even caring for a horse, there's a lot of teamwork there with the horse. And I think what we see with our young people is quite often if they have got trauma and attachment in their background and they are struggling to form relationships in society and in school, what we'll actually see is that they'll form the relationship with the horses first and the relationships with with their coaches and other people on the yard will follow. Um, And I think, you know, with skilled coaches, looking at horse behaviour is a fantastic way and a fantastic vehicle to start talking about young people's behaviour if behaviour is what has been a barrier to them in their learning journey. So I think, you know, as a as an environment, as a the horses and the environment themselves offers so much opportunity to do things differently with children and young people where things have just not worked in other settings. Um, and I think that, you know, that's what we see. And I was talking to a, a parent today, actually, of a, a nine-year-old girl, so one of our younger participants, and was talking about the programme being her sanctuary. And he was talking about the fact that he'd seen his little girl going from being scared and challenging and unhappy to being a lively chatterbox that couldn't wait to get to the stables every week. Um, and I think it's stories like that, that that kind of make us want to make a success of the programme and want to support the growth so that more young people can come on board um, and have that experience. Yeah, uh, certainly. And so uh, I guess that, that, that leads us on to talking about how do people find out about it? I mean, I, I should say... I, I heard about you on Twitter. I saw someone I was following. It was uh, someone who's involved in alternative provisions and proofs and, 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 and it was kind of uh, tweeted out and retweeted. So I stumbled across it. But if people want to find out more about it, and I know you've talked about the referrals, and I guess at the moment that means locating if there's a centre near you and all of those things. What's the process for someone to reach out to you? Yeah, so the best way to do that is through the British Horse Society website or just search Changing Lives Through Horses and it will take you to our Changing British Horse Society website. There's um, a little video from one of our centres up in Manchester um, and then there's an option to search for a centre near you. So you put in your postcode or where you are um, and then it will show you if you have any active centres near you. So what I'd say, we are working on around 48 active centres at the minute across the UK. So clearly we do have some geographical gaps, but also on the website is our email address, which is just changinglives at bhs.org.uk. If you email us and say you're interested in working with us, we can actually approach Um, approved centres in your area and ask them to come on board so we've just done that with um, a London Academy Trust that approached me that was through a Twitter link as well so it's um, working well to make connections Um, the executive head emailed me to say we love the look of the programme would love to come on board we hadn't actually got a centre actually in their area but what we were able to do was was contact our, our riding schools in the area, say, look, we've got this potential partnership. Is anybody interested in coming on board? And we got a centre that was. They're now trained and they're now working with that Academy Trust. So it doesn't just have to be existing centres. Please do get in touch if you're interested and we can look if we can um, 
bring a centre on board that we can pair up with you. Um, and as far as I know, you've mentioned that you're a chat. As far as cost of, of of being involved in it for a participant, yeah, I'm really impressed that we've got to nearly quarter seven without mentioning costs. Yeah, because <laughs> that is normally the first thing, obviously, that schools ask. So the British Horse Society fundraise to provide all of the training to the centres and all of the learning materials. Um, but then the centres do charge a session cost to the referrer, um, as would be the case with most alternative provision. But because we are heavily supporting the programme with the learning materials, none of those costs are passed on to the centre. So actually for a, an equine animal-based provision, in my experience of, of when I was commissioning provision um, in Nottinghamshire, it's actually really reasonable um, in terms of costs. Okay. And uh, yeah, um, so my final sort of question, and this is a, an incredibly cool question, but it's where we started. Uh, and that is, you know, we've talked about all of the wonderful things you can do. And but we've talk, talked about horses, and I'm shortly going to be talking to, to someone about dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, what? So back to it, what makes horses so special for this? I think we find that horses are genuinely magical to children and young people because they are quite often not in their usual realm of experience and therefore to, to come in and work with an animal of that size that most young people have, have never had that experience before, I think for me is what makes it magical and horses have an incredible ability to be empathetic, to be that supportive listener to not be judgmental um, and I think my final point perhaps would be um, to talk about a, a young lady that I met just before Christmas who was care experienced and I was chatting to her about why she liked the program so much and about her favorite horse and her immediate response to me is it's because he's kind um, and you know that young lady had not experienced a lot of kindness in her life before and she didn't overly need a, an, a human to be kind to her, but she loved coming and being with this horse because she thought that he was kind. And I think it's those kind of connections that that make it so magical. Well, that, you know, that does sound magical. I mean, you know, I, uh, the things that I've heard about it, it does sound um, like such a, a wonderful opportunity if people can get involved in it. And, and that, as you say, will be a matter of reaching out and, and, and all of those things now um alison thank you so much for joining us i will say again we you know we've been talking to um alison blackmore here um head of changing lives through horses program uh, for the british horse society um it's been lovely to hear about the work you're doing with young people yeah thanks nathan really appreciate the offer to, to come on and be a guest and happy for anybody to to contact me through twitter or through the um email address on the website um yeah really really happy to make connections and, and make partnerships and, and support young people moving forward and and it is magical but it's also a robust educational program as well so it can do both it can do both fantastic well as i say thank you so much we are going to go to the ads the news and our tech briefing and we'll see you all on the other side where hopefully we'll be hearing from david o'driscoll and the baxter project talking about a well-being dog um so uh, i will say nostar that's good night from here in wales alison thanks nathan really good to talk to you <laughs> you too and we'll see you all the other side of the news
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Research which was carried out by the National Day Nurseries Association has found that 95% of nurseries in England don't have enough to cover basic costs, following the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nursery finances will face further squeeze in April as a result of soaring heating and electricity bills, a further 6.6% rise in the national living wage and a 1.25% rise in national insurance. Emma White, owner of two private nurseries in Suffolk said, most of our staff are on minimum wage or above, and these payment increases are so well deserved. They have worked all the way through COVID. What makes it difficult for us is that they are not being mirrored in the amount the government gives us, and they are expecting nurseries to take the hit personally, when there is very little left to pay themselves. We have had to keep doors and windows open in the nursery for ventilation because of COVID, 
which means the heating has to be kept on. Within months, our heating bill has gone up by a third and will go up again in April. A government spokesperson said, the early years of a child's life are the most crucial, which is why we have invested more than £3.5 billion in each of the last three years to deliver the free childcare offers, including the 30 hours a week for working parents. John Beattie, former Scotland rugby star, has slated Scottish teaching unions for being responsible for Scotland not being better at rugby than other parts of the UK. He said, we are a small rugby playing country. Teacher strikes in the 70s and 80s, I think killed off much sport in schools in Scotland. His comments followed six Scotland team players being disciplined for a post-match trip to an Edinburgh pub after their Six Nations victory over Italy in Rome on March the 12th. John Beattie's comments have prompted a healthy debate about the direction Scottish rugby should take and come despite the last teacher strikes in Scotland being in 1985 to 86, in protest at pay and cuts by the Tory government under Margaret Thatcher. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at technology and supporting us getting lunch. Why? Because I asked every teacher I met last week if they had lunch regularly, and most of them said no. The reason being, they're too busy most days. Now, right off the bat, I'm not going to discuss any types of diet. This is just about getting lunch. Simple ways to get calories in to power the body. As always, I've tested these things out for you and added my humble opinion. First, and with zero extra cost, using the technology of the freezer. You can freeze a sandwich. I quite like this idea as it stopped me eating a sandwich in the car on the way to a school. If I know a sandwich is there, it calls to me. It calls to me. It being frozen meant a hat to wait. The downside is making the sandwich. However, throwing 10 slices of bread down, adding filling and then into a Ziploc bag would be quite easy on a Sunday evening. You might need quite a bit of space in your freezer though. Next, I used the trusty thermos mug and noodles. I thought it was a good idea, but unlike a sandwich that you can eat on the go, I needed a fork and then had to consider not dripping it on my tie, so I actually had to stop and eat. So not as simple as a frozen sandwich, but I did have a hot lunch. Now hold on to your hats. I tried this again. I did enjoy a hot lunch, so I smashed the noodles up before I put the water in the second time around. That day, I drank my lunch. No need to find a fork, lid off, quick swig of noodles, genius. The downside I can see is washing the mug. I know I'll find it on the draining board waiting to be washed when I want to get out the door. Finally, I tried a snack bar. You can get these quite cheap online and you can find them to match most dietary needs. It was definitely the easiest option, but would be the most expensive over time. For me, it didn't feel as lunch-like, if I was being totally honest, but it did the job of rapid calorie input on the go. So, in conclusion, if you're not having lunch, why not try one of these ideas? You will definitely feel better for it. P.S. I googled International Lunch Day and it actually exists. However, it's on the 10th of March, so we've missed it. Gutted. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you have for your lunch. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to The Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. We've been talking about can an animal make a difference in a student's life? And we do have a caller, I'm afraid the username is a little bit unclear, so I'm just going to see who we've got on the line. Hello? Hi Nathan, it's Dave from the Baxter Project. Hi, Dave. I, I was a little worried there. I always do this with the, the it, it auto generates uh, usernames. And so sometimes I, I, I'm unsure of who's calling in at any one time. And I should say to all our other listeners, don't be afraid. Uh, you can text us, you can message us. Um, we've been talking so far. We've just had a, a lovely chat with Alison Blackmore, who was uh, head of Changing Lives Through Horses program. Uh, for the British Horse Society earlier on in the show. Um, we are transitioning now. We've got um, Dave O'Driscoll here from the Baxter Project, um, a well-being dog helping pupils deal with problems they may not be able to talk about. Is that a, a fair description? Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite fair. Um, so, like you said, my name is Dave O'Driscoll. I'm a, I'm a criminologist. Uh, my background is criminal justice system, probation, youth offending, and I'm the founder of Therapeutic Activities Group, and uh, and we run the Baxter Project. It's a um, it's, it's a program based on the trauma recovery model that has the uh, that initially had the aim of mitigating the long term impact of adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, mm -hmm. yeah. and childhood trauma. Um, initially, it was uh, designed to steer young people away from the criminal justice system. However, we quickly determined that the program was effective in supporting young people through a wide range of emotional difficulties, not just recovery from childhood adversity and trauma. Um, the Baxter Project is named after our founding well-being dog and my dog, Baxter. And it's this innate relationship between children and animals that we harness to, to promote positive change. Um, and I want to describe Baxter for anyone listening who hasn't sort of visited your website now but Baxter is a um I, I mean gorgeous I will say I'm a big fan of dogs a, 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 um he looks like a scamp I want to say what kind <laughs> of dog is he a border, terrier. a border terrier so he certainly looks full of character that's the truth <laughs> <laughs> okay um and and he's your dog as well he is yes um so how the whole thing started was I was, I was working in the youth offending service and I decided I wanted a dog. Um, we got Baxter and I, I took him into work one day and the conversation was more fluid with the young people. Normally they would not be very willing to talk to us, but just having the dog in the room op opened, opened them up really. And they just started being a lot more talkative about well, and responsive to our, to our line of questioning and stuff. So um, after that, we just I decided to harness my experience and my passion, which is my dog, and uh, the result was the Baxter Project. And so what is it that the Baxter Project does now then? You, are you you're going into schools? Are you, you know, how is it working? 
Yeah, so um, initially we started off um, when it was a, an untried and untested model. And um, I had a pre-existing relationship through my work with the Yoss uh, in a couple of schools and uh, I pitched the idea to them. They were happy to take us on board as a sort of pilot trial. From then, it's gone from strength to strength and the benefits are being seen almost across the board. We're now in 50 schools across South Wales. We've got an army of dogs and we're supporting hundreds of young people. Uh, not that I'm, you know, poaching, but any in Swansea? We do have uh, a couple <laughs> in Swansea. There's a few primary schools in Swansea and, 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 and uh, Ponte de Lois and that sort of area in Port Talbot. But also not, that I'm, you know, a, not that I'm at all, you know, uh, uh, poaching from the radio show, but it is always of, <laughs> of, of interest to me. Um, so um, I, I also maybe if we expand on um, Yoss, we've mentioned, obviously, you know, I, I, I'd be familiar with the, the Youth Offending Service. That would be people who are going into work maybe with uh, children who are at risk or, or, or maybe engaged in activities um, that would bring them I- into contact with the police. Correct, yeah. Uh, at this point, they were already offended and uh, we were trying to rehabilitate them, essentially. Um, but you said, you know, the, the kind of all your, what you're doing with the Baxter Project has expanded beyond that then. So beyond what we might historically term as behavioural difficulties, maybe, or, or um, you know, youth offending issues that are going on in the community, you're now looking at sort of a, a wider range of needs? Yeah, it didn't take us long to realise that the techniques that we were adopting uh, had far wider benefits for young people with low self-esteem, stress, depression, self-harm, eating disorders, all sorts of, of, uh, of uh, mental uh, difficulties. Um, and do you think then that you know the the um... The, the children when they are when they are communicating when they are talking you've described this kind of change in them that there is a, 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 a an animal in the room is it the, the is it that they're talking to the the animal that they're, they're, they're petting whilst talking um how how does it work how do you know paint that picture how do, how do they engage so we we go into the schools first thing in the morning and the schools have pre-selected five young people for us to engage with that day uh we work with them all on a one-to-one basis and essentially we take them out of class which is a big carrot for the kids mm. and um and, and we just have conversations with them we just talk to them um the, the dogs bridge communication and, and lower defenses in the young people and before they know it we're, we're having meaningful conversations and trying to promote positive change um and i <sighs> So sometimes, obviously, you've talked about working in primary schools, but this is not necessarily, you know, um, I, I, I wouldn't want you. You're not describing a, um, a a childish interaction. Maybe this is something that would work with older children as well. Yeah, we work in primary and high schools. Um, yeah, we have worked with young adults as well, and uh, we have similar successes then. But that's more of a of a private sessions. Um, our, our, our work is primarily in schools, high, high and primary. Fantastic. Um, and as far as um, obviously, you know, Baxter obviously is 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 what started this. But do you think there's something special about um, it being a dog? 
you know, could I could I persuade you to try it with a cat, or is you know, do you think there's something special there about dogs that that enable them to have this this effect on young people? Yeah, I I, I did a, a lot of research before I uh, uh, took the plunge with this organisation, and a lot of the, the the bonding that can occur between uh, people and dogs is it's very historic. I think. It, with early man when dogs were first domesticated they were a sign of safety they um the, the early man were using animals as warnings if there was danger around and things like that and that sort of innate safety that is around dogs is is what we're trying to harness uh, to help these young people make better life choices or overcome any difficulties that they're having um so on that basis then is there any is there an ideal dog I, you know because i imagine i have seen uh many different reading uh either reading dogs therapy dogs such like but, but animals in school um and i have seen the range what is it you personally would be looking for in uh you know a dog to be uh, partaking this kind of activity well, all our animals are behaviour assessed, but they're not trained specifically for for the work. Uh, what we're doing is often mistaken for animal therapy or dog therapy, but mm. what we do is, is quite different, quite unique. There is no ideal dog, really, as long as the dog is calm and, of course, passes the behaviour assessment. Any animal, can, any dog can do it, really. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, I have in my mind that I would love a, you know, a giant Dulux dog type thing, you know, one of those incredibly big hair, hairy things to kind of, bun, you know, come into the room and fill and, you know, and that. But, but Baxter's quite a small one, right? Yeah, it's not our smallest. We've got um, Chihuahuas. Chihuahuas? Up, until, uh, up to Labradors. Yeah, or, um, oh. lots of uh, Cavachons and all sorts it's very much uh and any any dog really <laughs> as long as yeah. you've got the right temperament no i love we that avoid, you know, like i just we, we avoid rottweilers and, and yeah. dobermans and things like that but yeah as long as the dog's calm and and, and happy to be uh in a school environment then there's no reason why you can't have any breed um, and when the children first meet, are they, uh, you know, is there any sort of intimidation, hesitation, uh, or, or do they tend to sort of bond straight, you know, go straight into it? Yeah, well, the, the schools refer the, the young people to us, so they, they, they know if there are any pre-existing issues with, with dogs. I mean, mm. if you were scared of dogs, you wouldn't be an ideal candidate for the provision, but um, they, they love it. And it's this, the... the they feel special and invested in because they get to miss some class. They go on these dog walks or their friends are jealous. So if they haven't come from an ideal background where attention may be a bit of a deficit at home, they get that special feeling when they're, when they're with us. And and would it be then like a, a regular thing, a weekly thing? Yeah, we, um, we, we have a fortnightly timetable because there's, a waiting list in school are quite large and it's we try to see uh work with as many young people as we can without diluting the quality of the provision so mm. we see them on a fortnightly basis and then we write our reports uh, at the end of term and see if the young people are ready to stand on their own two feet and can can manage without us and if not then they can continue with us i know we work with some young people who have been in crisis 
almost weekly and we've we've been with them for up to three years some some individuals wow and and, and are the school sort of setting I'm, I'm trying to get a pitch for this because you do what it sounds like you're describing is you know a, a really clear intervention type type approach and is it that the schools are, are setting targets i guess what i'm trying to say is it it's it's more than a treat is it you know are they looking oh, yeah. to achieve something with this yeah, we um, on our referral forms we always ask for desired outcomes, um, and our staff are trained in all sorts of approaches, and and then we target particular areas of concern. Like if someone's got low self-esteem, we'll do our best to build them up and build confidence. And and the the outcomes that we've been witnessing across the board have been outstanding. Really, the feedback we've had from all the schools has been exceptional. And, uh, and I'm guessing, popular. yeah, and I'm guessing from the, you know, initially you might be looking, you know, with, with what you were imagining is you were, you were, you were imagining maybe a, a provision that was reducing exclusion maybe, but it, it sounds like it's transitioned to people would be looking to improve attendance with a scheme like this. Yeah, we're seeing improvements in attendance, overall happiness, attitude, as well as uh, fixed term exclusions, etc. That, that is fantastic and you know and amazing to hear now you talked a little bit about um going on walks there which is not something i've picked anyone's brains about so it's not just you know where i've seen something similar or like this before it had been you know housed in a in a, in a small room in school and they'd go to to, to take part for a you know a short amount of time a half hour amount of time but mm. it sounds like you're describing more than that yeah um in many respects, we try to disassociate ourselves from the school because um, some young people are quite militant to to interventions, and we we strive to be different to the usual provision that they've that they've experienced a hundred times. So we we take them out, we just we we leave the school, we go off site where when the weather's permitting, and uh, we'll spend uh, an hour building that relationship, building that peer to peer relationship, and once that trusting relationships been established that's when we can start challenging antisocial behavior and promoting pro-social behavior and attitudes and um within that then it almost sounds like do the, do the children uh maybe ownership's not the right word but do they they certainly will feel a connection they feel um like the dog is part of their life i guess ownership maybe is the right word yeah the uh they, they certainly bond with, with the dogs and they're more happy to see the animals than our practitioners. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but that's, that's at the beginning. Once, once the relationship starts to, to establish, then it's, it's about the, the bonds that the, the team are building with these young people. And then, and then they're willing to listen to us rather than push back against like they would in a normal authority figure. Um, so yeah, yeah it's uh are you saying it's uh like a, a key to opening a relationship more than the, the the dog in itself is is a gateway absolutely yeah so in, in the initial sessions it's uh in the early relational development stage we're we're talking a lot about the dogs we're talking about a lot about what they like doing we try and um find common ground to talk about the, their likes their interests just to just so they, we, we want the young people to enjoy the sessions. We make them as fun as possible. And then when they're happy, 
these young people who normally don't want to do, uh, get involved in these sort of interventions, they want to be involved with the Vax Project. We can walk through a school and people will come up to us saying, oh, can, when's it my turn to walk the dog? And, and things like this. It's, uh, it's beautiful to see, really. Um, and um, I, I, you've been, how long did you say you'd been going on with the Baxter Project? Um, just over three years. Just over three years. So potentially you'll start seeing some of these children maybe graduating high school, leaving high school, um, going on to other things, maybe with a, you know, a changed outlook on their lives. That's the plan. <laughs> um, and, um, well, you know, it has been, there's some amazing things there. I'm going to, you know, um, put you on the spot maybe a little bit you know I've already asked you about whether a cat could do this okay um, I've already asked you about you know whether uh, the chihuahua thing I have to say you know astounded me you know I, I'd never considered that as a thing before um, but um, is it something that a school could do themselves or is there think- more to it is it, yeah, just you know what I mean. Is is it as yeah. simple as getting a dog and and that will do the work, or you know, is that an oversimplification of what's happening here and the thought and the process that you've had to put into this? Yeah, um, I, th- I think in in schools that do have their own dogs, um, which I love by the way, I think animals yeah. in school is is brilliant, but in many respects, the therapy dogs or the school dogs are, are more for the masses. Whereas our program is targeted to the specific young people who need it the most, and mm. it's they get that feeling of investment and uh, specialized intervention, really, where where all their friends are jealous to to be involved. Whereas, plus there's a disassociation from the authority figure as well. We're not teachers, and when you're talking to somebody with a dog in school, like a staff member, there's always that, oh, I don't want to say too much because it's yeah, true at I, the end of the day. I, I think there's the crux of that that really interests me because in lots of the other ones where it has been a dog more as a school pet, it, it, you know, it, it, if you understand my meaning, it's often been yeah. like the head teacher's mm. dog. And, and this mm. disassociation that you're talking about really interests me about kind of breaking it away and making it something different. Yeah, ex- exactly that, and I think that's why why it's become so popular because we're not doing what other, what other schools are doing. We're not just a dog in the classroom, or we're not just a dog in the library. We we take them out of school, we take them on walks, we help their physical well being as well as uh, you know their emotional, social, and educational. I think it's it's, it's more all it's more all encompassing than than just having a dog in a room, really. Yeah. The, the, the important thing is the relationship that they're building with, with our practitioners. The dog's, to, mm. the dog's there to start the process, but it's that, that relationship is absolutely key. And that's in line with the trauma recovery model. And that's uh, basically how everything starts. Yeah. Um, now, if people wanted to find out more about what you do, how would they be able to sort of reach out um, and, and find out about yourselves? Yeah, I think I think the... Best method is on Twitter. Um, we've got most of the schools that we're working with have, have found us through Twitter. I think the the role was 
I designed it for myself because I, I wanted to do it myself. And then before long, there were so many schools who wanted to part of it that we had waiting lists across the country and we had to start recruiting. Um, mm. But yeah, the Twitter is the best way to, to get us at this at Baxter underscore project. Um, and But that, to me, suggests that there are a number of practitioners out there, your school-based practitioners, I mean, yeah. who, who think there's a need for this. Like yeah, a real we've, need. Um, well, yeah, I, um, we've, our team has grown in the last, I think when lockdown, the first lockdown hit, it was when the, the light was really shone on pupil well-being rather than mm. academia. And since then, the demand has been huge. We've got a massive waiting list as we speak. But we are uh, hiring and training our practitioners all the time, and we're we're doing our best to satisfy the demand. But it's a slow process at at the moment because we want to make sure we've got the right people and the right dogs. Yeah, definitely. Well, it does sound like a unique take on something that, you know, people on the surface might you know, uh, think they are familiar with, but it certainly sounds that you found a a, a definite different take there, uh, this, this kind of disassociation from the authority in the school, this opportunity to to start something and then and then build a relationship with the practitioner. It does sound like a really interesting thing. Now, I know, you know, I was really keen to, to get you on, and so I'm really grateful for your time. Um, and uh, do you have any final thoughts or any final messages before I, I let you get on with your evening? <laughs> um, yeah, just I just want to thank you for the invite. Um, we've we've come a, a long way in a, in three years, and I don't think there's much stopping us really. There's a lot of young people out there who can benefit from from the provision that we provide. The ones that have disengaged with other interventions or where just other engagement techniques just have failed, we seem to be succeeding. Mm. Um, and all the schools we're working with are happy. It's, I mean, just having us in the in the school where you can it's it's, it's uplifting for everybody there. It's, we get an entourage whenever we go anywhere in the playground or or, or through the school, and everyone's like, "Oh, there's a dog, there's a dog." Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine. And, and uh, you know, I certainly think there are a lot of people out there within schools who I think, you know, maybe it is since COVID or maybe it started sometime before that with some of the trauma-informed practices. I know you've already mentioned people being more aware of adverse childhood experiences and the effect that they can have on young people. But looking beyond the typical classroom provision, should I say, or the, the, the kind of historic classroom-based provision, to, to something different, another way of reaching in. Yeah, and I think that's where we stand out because we are breaking the mould, I suppose, and we're <laughs> making positive change through unique techniques. Fantastic. Well, listen, Dave, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much, Nathan. No, uh, thanks a lot, Nostar, um, and, and uh, I will Nostar, um, and I will um, finally wrap up the show. I'm afraid, uh, listeners, it is coming to the end. Don't forget, this evening we have spoken to Alison Blackmore. If you missed it, right at the start, there she was head of Changing Lives Through Horses program for the British Horse Society, talking about 
an intervention where you can have a uh, a pupil, a student, maybe who is disengaged with their learning, maybe who is interested in horses, maybe who you know who isn't, has never been around a horse, um, and, and and needs that big opportunity to develop um, learning behaviours, to develop life skills, to to earn qualifications. A really interesting, different take there. And of course, we've just heard from uh, Davo. Driscoll um, from the Baxter Project, which currently based in, in South Wales and growing, um, which is about um, really opening up, uh, to helping unlock children, I guess, um, to deal with problems they might not be able to talk about normally. Um, and uh, you know, these amazing interventions that we're talking about. Now, I should say later on this evening, um, after this show, we've got Noreen on the late show from 8 till 9.30. She's joined by Sharon Stone. They're going to be talking about coaching, uh, improving engagement, um, supporting mental health in schools. Um, I should say as well, you know, if you think that you could do what I'm doing, which is hosting a show on Teachers Talk Radio. We are always on the lookout uh, for hosts, so reach out via our website, ttradio.org, uh, and 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 maybe uh, you know in the coming weeks you could be doing the same. Um, if you're not following us on Instagram, follow us on Instagram as well, and on LinkedIn, you'll find us there as well as of course on Twitter. Um, and if you've missed any of the shows today, if you missed James this morning, if you missed uh, Jane who was on the morning break, or if you missed Harry on just before me, uh, you can listen back on ttradio.org slash listen back. Um, and, and you can search there as well. So if you want to find a specific topic, type it into the search bar uh, and you'll be able to pull up all of the episodes on uh, that specific topic, be it behavior, be it school leadership, wh- whatever it is that you want to listen to uh, these shows back as a podcast. Um, and of course, um, you know, I should say, um, that we have been at bet today um, and you will have seen the tweets going out um, Tom Rogers has been there so if you want to engage with some of those educational technology things you know I have loved our top tip t- tech tips that we get in with the news uh, smashing up a pot noodle today he was um, but yeah that we have been at bet so you can follow us there and if you were at bet uh, and you found one of our stickers, you can maybe win yourself a TT Radio mug with the new design. Now, I will say, uh, from all of us here, I will say, uh, Nostar from here in South Wales, Swansea, good night, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.